A reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. But strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given unto you as well. And from the letter to the Romans, but now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been disclosed and is attested by the law and the prophets. Righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction since all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. They are now justified by his gift, by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forth as a sacrifice of atonement by his blood, effective through faith. He did this to show his righteousness because in his divine forbearance he had passed over the sins previously committed. It was to prove at the present time that he himself is righteous and that he justifies the one who has faith in Jesus. The word of the Lord. When I was growing up, there were certain phrases that everyone used to say that something was special or that something was wonderful to them. We would sometimes say, that's a really cool thing. That's a really neat thing. In the past, sometimes people would say, well, that thing is the cat's meow, right? How many of you grew up saying, that's the cat's meow? There we go. You haven't heard that so much anymore. You know, now if you want to say that something is really fantastic or wonderful, you say it's sick. <laughs> I, I, I don't get that, but that's the way you say it. Or you say it's radical, you know, totally radical. There was also a way of saying that when I was growing up that you don't hear so much anymore. If you heard a song that you thought was fabulous, if you ate a bowl of ice cream that was, you know, out of this world, you would say, that was righteous. How many of you grew up saying, that was righteous? Yeah, okay, you date yourselves by saying that in some sense, right? That was a righteous thing, yeah. Well, I've been thinking a lot about righteousness, of course, as we have moved in our thinking to consider the fourth beatitude. In fact, I was thinking about righteousness on Thursday morning as I was driving up north a few miles to be tested and fitted for the new set of golf clubs that you all gave me as a result of my 20 years of surviving the ministry here. I was thinking to God, you know, I would love to have some righteous new golf clubs, right? Really cool clubs. And so I went to one of the world's most famous temples and places of worship of all things golf. Do you realize that we live here in the holy land of golf? <laughs> we really do. We really do the best clubs, the most research and development, all that kind of stuff goes on right here where we live. And so I was blessed to go to one of those very, very special places 
where they check out your swing and compare it with the clubs they have and then match you up. Now, these are such special places that not just anybody gets to go in. You drive up to this one particular place and there's a huge gate and you have to check in. You punch this little button and this voice comes over the intercom. It says, who dares to enter here? <laughs> or something like that. And I said, Jack Baca dares to enter here. And said, oh, okay, you're signed up. Come on in. And you walk in to this beautiful place, immaculately appointed, pictures of famous golfers and famous golf club designers all over the place, and you're awed and amazed by all of it. And, and then they make you sign an agreement that says you're not going to share any of their secrets with anyone. Like I would understand what any of those secrets would be in the first place. And then they take you into this special place and you take a deep breath and you start swinging golf clubs. And they have these special machines that show how fast your swing speed is and the angle of attack and how fast the ball's going and how it's spinning and where it's going, etc., etc., etc. They analyze everything about you and your golf swing. And then there is actually a priest of golf who is there with you. <laughs> He's handing you golf clubs, one after the other, saying, let's try this one. Let's see what this one does. I think I began to frustrate him because he was getting to the end of all the things that he had to offer to me, and still it wasn't helping very much. But nevertheless, <laughs> we then started trying out golf balls. Even the golf ball, the kind of ball it is, and the way it's constructed, it makes a difference in the way that you swing the club. And so I'm proud to say that I found what according to this priest in this temple would be a righteous set of golf clubs for me and I've ordered them. We'll see how it works. There's only one problem. The problem is that the clubs might be the best in the world. The balls might be the most highly developed balls in the world. But it's still just me. No one would ever describe my golf swing as righteous. They might say, oh my God, but it's not righteous. <laughs> Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. In this Easter season, as Neil mentioned, this season when we're remembering Jesus' resurrection, we are remembering as well the opening lines of Jesus' great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. It might be review for a few of you, but we need to hold these things in mind that Jesus has appeared on the scene and he has said to all the people who will listen to him, repent, turn around, Pay attention to the things that are right here in front of you right now. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God, the righteousness of God is right here in front of you in what I am saying, in what I am doing, in what God is doing through me. Jesus is teaching us about the grace of God. The grace of God who would take the trouble and the time and the effort by the way, he'll be killed in the process, to come and be with us. The Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, 
everything that Jesus says, everything that Jesus does is about God's grace. And so Jesus begins to teach us in the words of the Beatitudes. Now, Beatitude is a fancy word for blessing. Just use the word blessing. Hardly anybody knows what a Beatitude is anymore. But we all know what blessings are, right? Jesus says God blesses those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He says God blesses those who are spiritually empty those who are mourning, those who are powerless in the world. And as we begin to hear those blessings that Jesus pronounces, we begin to wonder if Jesus knows what he's talking about. What does it mean to be blessed with something? In our way of thinking, to be blessed with something means you have a lot of it. If you're blessed with a phenomenal golf swing, you're not here right now. You're in New York playing at a golf tournament. If you're blessed with the things of life, what do you have? You're blessed with health. You're blessed with wealth. You're blessed with prosperity. You're blessed with peace. You're blessed with all the good things that this life has to offer. That's what people thought in Jesus' day, that God blessed only a few. God blessed the high, the mighty, the powerful, the beautiful, those for whom life was everything life was meant to be. And then there were the rest of us. And yet here Jesus begins to proclaim his blessing on those who are spiritually empty, on those who have lost the ones they've loved, on those who are so meek and powerless as to not be able to do anything at all about their situation in life. They simply take whatever hard knocks life brings. The message of the Beatitudes is a countercultural message. It turns everything upside down and says that God is with everyone. Regardless of your outward circumstance, God loves you. The kingdom of God is available to you. And so let's keep that in mind as we think about this fourth Beatitude, that blessing is given to those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let's talk about the word righteousness for just a minute. It's one of those religious words, right? Maybe that's why we don't use that saying anymore. That's a totally righteous 56 Chevy that you're driving there, right? Think of righteousness in this way. Think of it as just being right. Not being right about your political opinions or being right about this factoid or not, but being perfect in yourself, being the way you are meant to be. And it's not just about you, it's about everything. Things are righteous when they are completely aligned with their purpose, when they are functioning as God made them to be. We are righteous in our relationship with God when we are right with God, not when we're hiding, not when we're running, not when we're trying to be God. That's what righteousness is. Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for it. Not those who already have it, but the ones who crave it, who need it so badly that, that they'll do almost anything to get it. Have any of you ever been hungry before? 
I don't mean just the kind of hunger that happens on Sunday morning when you haven't eaten breakfast and you can't wait for the preacher to stop preaching so you can go and eat lunch. I'm not talking about the kind of thirst that obtains when you forgot to put a bottle of water in the car and you're waiting for the next exit and hoping that a McDonald's is there. I'm talking about going without food for days or weeks or months on end. I'm talking about the kind of craving in your body and in your soul for something that you must have to survive. That's what hunger and thirst is all about. What is it to hunger and thirst for righteousness? Think about it in your own life. Think about the things in you and in your life that are not right. Some of us suffer from addictions, from a craving and a need and a desire for things that will kill us. That is a lack of righteousness, is it not? Some of us suffer from our failures. We've made such a mess of things in our relationships, in our business, in the way we treat our body. We have been unrighteous in what we've done. Some of us suffer from the unrighteousness of ignorance. We don't know anything, but we don't know that we don't know anything. Therefore, we think we know everything. Some of us suffer the unrighteousness of self centeredness, thinking that we're what it's all about. We don't care about anybody else. In all of those ways, we hunger and thirst for being right because deep in our souls, we know we're not. But it doesn't end there. There is great unrighteousness around us, in our friends, in our families, in our society, in our whole world. Think about the unrightness of prejudice. There is not a single human being on the face of the planet who is not prejudiced against something. There are particular kinds and forms that we lift up as perhaps being worse than others or more prevalent than others, but everybody I've ever known, including myself, is prejudiced against something, prejudging something and judging it as being not what it actually is. That's what prejudice is. Think about poverty. Think about the unrighteousness, the unrightness of those who do not have enough to eat and maybe never will, of those who die because they can't get a glass of clean water. Think about the unrightness of oppression that exists in the world. Whole categories and classes of people who are put down, who are excluded simply because of who they are. Think about the unrightness of warfare. Most of us have never had to live with war. Some have. War in and of itself, the necessity that some sometimes feel to kill or be killed is an unrighteous thing. We all hunger and thirst for righteousness. Clearly, righteousness was an important thing to Jesus. 
Later on in his Sermon on the Mount, he's going to talk about how you and I try to find God's blessing in life. We seek it, we strive for it, we work for it. We try to find the right clothes to wear or maybe some kind of clothes at all. We try to find food to eat. And Jesus reminds us, in fact, Jesus commands us to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Clearly, righteousness is something that this world needs, that you and I need. It is something that is connected to the kingdom of God. In fact, it is the kingdom of God where righteousness exists. That's where the kingdom of God is. But there's a problem. Just like it's easy to go and buy a new and improved set of golf clubs, that's one thing, but it's not easy to go and buy a new and improved golf swing, a new and improved body. I know you think my body is perfect, but it's not. Where do we find the righteousness that God wants us to have? Paul was reflecting on that fact as he wrote a letter to the Romans, a letter about Jesus. And he said, now the righteousness of God has been disclosed through faith in Jesus Christ. The righteousness of God. We look in ourselves, we look at our world, and we see very little righteousness, but then we look at Jesus, and that's where the righteousness of God is. It is revealed and it is unleashed in the world, in the person and work of Jesus Christ. God's righteousness, the divine, became mysteriously and yet unmistakably fused with the human in the person of Jesus, the human person of Jesus, we see the divine reality of God. God's righteousness, living and breathing and loose in the world among us. In Jesus' righteousness, in his death for our sins, in his resurrection for the sake of ours. We see that God pays for our unrighteousness. We see that God offers a way forward through our unrighteousness. God's righteousness absorbs and redeems and heals our unrighteousness. God's righteousness is revealed and unleashed in the person and work of Jesus. And so we look back on what Jesus said in his blessing. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And we have to ask the question. Jesus would want us to ask the question. If we don't ask the question, we are to be pitied. The question is, where is that righteousness? When will it be here? How can I find it? And that leads us to think more about the beatitude. Do you remember the great commandment that Jesus gave? When he was asked what's the greatest commandment, he actually put two of them together. He said, the greatest commandment is that you would love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's where righteousness is when we are loving God first and foremost and always. And equally so when we are loving our neighbor just as much as we are loving ourselves 
You see, Jesus continually taught about the priority of our seeking for, striving for, hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness, which is all about loving. I challenge you to think about any problem in your life or any problem in the world today that is not somehow tied to a lack of love. Poverty, oppression, racism, prejudice, addiction, hatefulness, fearfulness, bigotry, selfishness, they all are a lack of love. And so as we learn to love, God's righteousness begins to fill our hearts. Of course, we know that we cannot love perfectly. I'm a student of history, just are you, and and I do not have on rose-colored glasses or a Pollyanna attitude that says tomorrow the world's going to be a perfect place. But I do know that sometimes the world can get a little bit better. That in the past there are people who have fought against the injustice of slavery and there are people today still fighting against the injustice of the slavery that exists in our world. That in the past there are people who fought against the the oppression and and pain of, of, of hunger and thirst and political oppression and today there are still people fighting and working for those things. We look one day to a time when all of those things will be gone. We're people of hope. Realistic, of course, about the injustice, the unrighteousness that exists in the world, but nevertheless, people with hope that one day God is going to resolve and solve and eliminate all of it because God has already started to do that in His Son, Jesus. God also is starting to do it in you. You see, you cannot hear that beatitude Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness without looking around the world and saying, where is the unrighteousness that's there? We are blind sometimes to the suffering and unrightness of the world out there and the world in us. But if you believe Jesus, if you listen to this blessing, you will look even harder. You will look longer. You will look with eyes of honesty, candidly admitting where there is not rightness in you and in the world around us. But then you and I will also begin to see that Jesus has conquered those things. And that as we follow him, we will conquer them too. Jesus says, you are blessed, not just blessed you will be, but you are. How are we blessed when we hunger and thirst? We're blessed because then we turn to Jesus, where the righteousness is. We turn to him for his forgiveness. We turn to him for his reception and welcome back into the family. We turn to him for wisdom and for power to live our lives in ways that begin to feed that hunger and to slake that thirst. As you and I follow Jesus here and now, we begin to make that journey forward and make actual progress toward that time when God's righteousness becomes our own righteousness, not just for our sakes, but for the sake of a world that needs to be put right again. May the world say about us that it has been blessed by us, that its hunger and thirst for righteousness has been filled 
because ours has been filled in Jesus. Amen.